Okay, well, welcome people on the internet. We are going to be talking about something that is very apropos for today, and that is impossible circumstances. This is our ongoing series, Evangelization Moments, and part of evangelization is dealing with these impossible circumstances. We're going to look to the saints to help us with that as well. We're counting down to the start of the program, which goes live at a particular hour, minute, and second, uh, whether we like it or not. So that's what we're going to talk about. I don't have a prayer, but um, that's what we need, and I have one in my bag here, so I'll have to grab that. So tell your friends about this program on the internet, please, and listen to us on the radio. Welcome to the St. Joseph Radio Presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world, where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. Well, thank you, Matt. That was Matt Lagerman, and I am your host today, Peter Karutz. I have good news for you, and I have bad news. The good news is I am your host. The bad news is I am also your guest, so I am going to be sitting here right beside myself, talking to myself, and sharing a few thoughts with you all. Uh, I will give you the phone number here if you have some thoughts or advice. I'm not sure if we can get you on the air, but we could certainly take your thoughts and advice. Uh, the number here is 636-447-6000. I'll tell you about that later on. So to get right to the point, this is the third Saturday of the month. That means that it is the ongoing series, Evangelization Moments. And you know what? We've picked a very tough one today, and the tough one is impossible circumstances. Impossible circumstances. How do you deal with it? How have we seen the saints deal with it? And I'll be very direct. How can we deal with them? Um, as, as we always say before we get started, we always start with prayer. So let me remind you, today is evangelization moments where we, regular lay folks, can participate in the spreading of the gospel, the Great Commission. And the name of this program is Impossible Circumstances. Think about it. Think about calling in and, and giving us one or two to talk about. Um, I'm sure we'll come up with a few, 636-447-6000. We're going to start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. 
Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for the work you've given us and the work you've taken away from us. We give you thanks for our health and the health that you've taken away from us. We know that you have a plan and that you make all things good, that all you do is good. So in all things, as Paul says, we give you thanks. We ask you for whatever we want because we are your brothers and your children. You love us infinitely, and we can come to you and ask for anything. So we ask for an end to this pandemic. We ask you for faith in our own lives and faith in our families' lives. And moreover, we ask you to bring somebody into the lives of our family members who may have fallen away. We ask this all through our Lord Jesus Christ. We wrap it in Our Lady's mantle. Uh, and with the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, thank you again for joining us again here at noon on Saturday Live. And we're talking about impossible circumstances. So uh, this is not a digression. It is on the same subject. But I'm sure you've all heard that there is no such thing as a private sin. Uh, you know, we talk about the body of Christ. We know that we are all interconnected in all that we do. And it's usually depicted from a sinful standpoint, right? If we cut a finger or cut a finger off, it affects the whole body. You don't, you don't say my, you know, you don't think, say my finger is hurting. It's our whole body is hurting. Everyone's hurting. Similarly, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach to this. There's no such thing as a private virtue, a private virtue, it affects the whole body of Christ. So we, we have great examples of the saints who had lives of heroic virtue. So in the second part of this program, we're going to talk about the saints, how you become one, how you, uh, how well, how, how, we're all hoping to become saints, no doubt, what is a saint, and, and some of my favorite saints, and how they dealt with impossible circumstances. But to start out, I'd like to tell you about what's going on here in St. Louis. It leads right into our conversation. Uh, I was with a group of young Catholics, and I posed a question. I said, when is it okay to have an abortion? So keep that question in your mind, you are going to be shocked. You might not be able to stand on your seat and actually consider what the, uh, what the answers were when, when they were given to me. But, but w along those lines, today, this morning, there was a rally of the uh, Alliance of the Two Hearts at 9.30 this morning to say the rosary uh, for the end of abortion. There is, at this moment, a rally at St. Barnabas, uh, right in front of the church, to say the rosary for the end of abortion. And there are rallies all over the city today, and in fact, uh, many, many of the days that uh, come to um, the, the Supreme Court decision that's going to come down in a couple of months. But there, there are some today. So if you're near St. Barnabas, yeah, jump out, go out, say the rosary. Uh, there's, there's a lot of that going on. So let me tell you what the answer was, not the answer, what the response was to this question. So I asked a bunch of young people, um, when is it okay to have an abortion? 
And from this group that had absolutely nothing to say up until this point, all of a sudden, they had answers. Two people said rape and incest. Uh, Another person said instantly, if the mother is in a poor economic circumstance, if it would affect their lifestyle, or if the child was developmentally disabled or, or, or there was a, uh, uh, the life of the mother was in danger. I got to tell you, I was, I was blown away and shocked. These, are, these were Catholic young people, and there wasn't even a question as to whether or not there was a justification. So let's get right to the point. There is no justification. There never is a reason. Uh, Toward the end of this, I'll talk about the concept of dual effect. But the reasons that were given were not reasons. So uh, to use the word reason in a different way, let's talk about abortion from a reasoned standpoint. Uh, St. John Paul said, faith and reason are like two wings of a dove. You need them both. And usually when we're confronted with these issues, uh, dare I say that many of us don't engage. Remember, St. Thomas More said, silence implies assent. So we, we can't be silent. Another piece of advice, my mom always said, you can say anything to anybody anytime, but remember the tone that makes the music, right? You do it in a loving fashion. So let's talk about this from a reasoned standpoint, from a scientific standpoint. Remembering the name of our program is Impossible Circumstances. What these young people did is, I think they were trying to present what might be considered impossible circumstances. Let's take them one by one, and let's take them, let's know that they are tough. So first off, uh, rape and incest. We, we, We tried rape first, and I said, what should the proper punishment be for a rapist? I'm telling you, we had all kinds of suggestions, including imprisonment and 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 worse. And I said, well, why do you want to punish the rapist? And there was all kinds of descriptions of how they they were violent, they destroyed a person's life, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So then I asked another question. I said, what should be the punishment for the woman who was raped? And they all looked at me like I was crazy, and rightly so. And I said, well, she didn't do anything wrong. I said, are you sure? I said, absolutely. So you don't think you should punish the woman? Right. Why? Because she did nothing wrong. She was innocent. You know where I'm going. My next question was, what did the child do? We would never punish the the victim of a rape. Why would we punish the product? The child did nothing wrong. The child did nothing wrong. Um, I then said, 
let's, uh, there's an old saying, extraordinary circumstances make extraordinary, extraordinarily bad law. So I said, what if I cede to you, and I don't, that those are extraordinary circumstances? Let's talk, let's talk about the other ones. Economic circumstances, lifestyle of the mother, uh, if the child is deformed or um, in danger of dying or if the mother is in danger of death. And uh, it, th this, became, this became less than clear, to be perfectly honest with you, because it has been so ingrained in people. Again, these folks are considered to be in impossible circumstances. So let's make it personal. Let, let me talk to all of you out there. I can't imagine all of you all grew up wealthy or, or even middle class. Many of you grew up poor. Um, it is almost inconceivably, inconceivable to me to think that we as a civilized society would kill people because they're poor. Think about it. Killing people because they're poor. It doesn't, it, it's so appalling you can't even hardly articulate it. I'm going to skip the lifestyle one because it's, it's so, so desperately depraved. Um, let's talk about the child being deformed or in, uh, in danger of death. The reality is this. Doctors are said to be and do practice medicine. I cannot tell you how many stories I've heard where the, the doctor has said, the child is in danger, the child will die. Uh, I, I, I was at dinner once. I was at dinner once with a, um, a bunch of friends and we were celebrating, and we were all from out of town except for the one, we were celebrating his promotion. And we all went to the restaurant. There's eight men, this man included, and his wife. And we go in. We're about to sit down at this big round table. And she says something disparaging about the church. I think it was because I suggested we say grace. And her, her, her husband said, oh, don't, 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 don't even engage. She's just going to tear you up, eat you up. And, and you know, again, I, I was gentle. But, hey, I love the church. I, I, you know, I, I, I stand up for the church. And... The, she got more and more and more angry about everything under the sun. And all of a sudden, it stopped. She stood up. She walked all the way around the table. And she had the guy who was sitting next to me move. And she wasn't yelling anymore. And she whispered to me, she said, you know, we just celebrated the twins' birthday. Did they have, they have twins? I said, yeah, yeah. She says, you don't understand. I don't have twins. So we, we were just talking about it. You're celebrating your twins' birthday? She says, no. I had triplets. And the doctor told me while I was carrying them, that I had to reduce. I had to choose which child to kill. 
and she said, I killed my child. I'm going to hell. And I can't forgive myself. The fact is that abortion kills a child and it also terribly scars a mother. We know as Catholics that there is always mercy. And of course, I, asked, I encouraged her to go to confession and said, if God can forgive you, then you need to forgive yourself. But don't believe the lie that says that it doesn't affect the mother. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I am your host, and unfortunately your guest as well. And we are talking about impossible circumstances. What do we do? How do we deal with them? This is the third Saturday of the month, and it is Evangelization Moments. And this is where we talk about how we, as normal, regular, everyday Catholics, can talk about difficult things and evangelize the faith. Uh, again, right here, right now, at this moment, at St. Barnabas, uh, right in front of the church, they're saying the rosary for the end of abortion. So we just talked about a terrible, un, uh, intolerable circumstance. These doctors came to this woman and said that if she didn't choose one of her three children to abort, that they would all die. Uh, this, this conversation has been repeated over and over in different circumstances, and one that has affected a, a, a folks right here at the radio station and friends here. Uh, a woman had uh, twins, and they were told the same thing, and she wouldn't do it. Uh, she wouldn't choose one. Uh, and as the pregnancy progressed, one child did die, but it was the other child. The doctors had told her she had to kill child number one, and it was child number two who died. And if she had followed the doctor's recommendations, both would have died. So think of this. If our child were a year old and they were dying, wouldn't we just hold them and comfort them and do everything we could? We wouldn't hasten their death. These are impossible circumstances, but there is a way to deal with them. So again, we said this is evangelization moment, so let's talk about key arguments that are given to us with regard to, to abortion. Um, I, I mentioned some of them. The economics, can't support the child. Uh, lifestyle, the child is uh, perhaps deformed or dying or the, the, the possible death of the mother, which we can, we can talk about all of those. But w what I have found is that before you do, you have to come to some common ground. Um, and that is, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a child? Are we talking about a human being? Uh, the third person in this young people's group told me that nobody should tell me what I should do with my body. I'll repeat that. Nobody should tell me what to do with my body. Okay, so I asked her how she knew that I was a different person than her. And she's like, what, what, what do you mean? Because you're there. And I'm, I said, no, tell me. I want to know specifically, how do you know that I am a different person than you? And of course, she thought this was absolutely ridiculous. And, and, and I said, well, just do it. She said, well, you're a man, you're a man and I'm a girl. I said, okay, we have a different sex. Uh, uh, I, I, I said, well, what's your blood type? And she said it was, it was um, A. I said, well, mine's O. We have a different blood type. 
I said, do you think we have different DNA? Yeah, of course we have different DNA. So I said, are you still sure that I am a different person than you? She says, well, of course. And I said, a child in a mother's womb may be a different sex, might be a boy. The child may have a different blood type. And the child always has a different DNA. There is absolutely, positively, no question as to whether or not this is the mother's body or if it is a separate person. So evangelization moments. How do you know that the child, that the the baby in the mother's womb is not the mother? Possibly different sex, different blood type, certainly different DNA. Well, that wasn't good enough. So the next argument was, well, well, first off, it's incontroversial at that point to say whether or not you're, it's, it's a different person. So they question whether it is a person. And I said, well, if a dog is having puppies, what, what will the offspring be? Well, they'll be dogs. And I said, if a bear is having cubs, what would that offspring be? Well, silly, that would be a bear. I said, isn't it logical? Doesn't it make sense that if two humans have an offspring, it would be a human? Well, again, that's uncontroversial. So we've established that the person isn't, a, uh, isn't the mother. It's a different person. We've established that this person is human, must be, because the parents are human. Then the third argument is, well, this child is completely dependent upon me, and you can't tell me what to do with my body. So, so I said, so if a person is dependent upon another person, they should be able to be killed. And there was a tacit yes. I said, what if you took a one-year-old child and left them in Forest Park in zero-degree weather? Would they survive the night? No. Should you be allowed to kill a child that's a year old because they're dependent upon the parents? Obviously, no. I said, what if a person is in a coma? What if a person is sleeping? Y you know, the, the argument continues to devolve. Just because one person is dependent upon another doesn't mean that you can kill that person. So we've established that the child is not the mother, that the child is, in fact, a human being. And to say that because it's dependent, the child is dependent upon the mother doesn't mean that you can go and kill the child. So what we've tried to do is try to have some reasonable and logical um, arguments that we can have in a good and um, prayerful, a good and kind way with folks who may present us with this thought. It's going to be a controversy issue, controversial issue, but what we have to do is do what our Lord did, meet people where they're at. To just come to them and say, look, the Catholic Church teaches that 
you can't have an abortion. It, it, it falls on dead ears. Uh, it isn't. Uh, it doesn't bear fruit. Think of um, uh, the Thomistic way. St. Thomas Aquinas in his um, Summa Theologica, what he would do is present various arguments. And the first thing he would do is he would present the other side's argument better than his opponents could themselves. So you have to meet people where they were at. So I will review one more time three arguments. One, is it the same person? No. Two, is it a human being? Yes, of course. And three, because somebody is dependent upon another person, does that mean you should kill them? I'm going to give you a fourth. The fourth is, uh, and I'm sure many of you have done this, standing in front of an abortion clinic. uh, They say, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to raise this child? It's a spurious argument. Because somebody saves your life doesn't mean that you have to support that person for the rest of their lives. Uh, I'll tell you a, a, about a call that we had years and years ago, and the program was on heroes. And s- this girl from California called in, and she says, I want to tell you about a hero that I know. I don't know him anymore, but um, when I was in school, she was, at a fr- she was a freshman at university, and uh, she, this was a friend, a mutual friend, and uh, they had another mutual friend, a couple, and she became pregnant. Well, this buddy of hers just was talking to her and trying to convince her not to have an abortion, and finally they got very heated and said, look, she says, look, this is agonizing. I have no other choice. I'm in school. I'm, I'm not, I, I, this is not the life I have chosen I'm going to have an abortion. And he said, I will do anything. I will do anything to stop you from having this abortion. And she says, yeah. He says, yeah. He says, will you adopt my child? Will you raise my child? This young man said, freshman in college, just starting his academic career, he said, yes, I will. And he did. The child was born. He quit school. He went back home, enrolled in a university. I don't even know if it was university. I forget. Locally, um, he went back, lived with his parents. uh, And he literally raised this child. I didn't tell you the first part of it. She, she said, I knew this young man in college, and he was a virgin, and he had a, and he had a uh, eventually he had a six-year-old. Well, you know, this man lived a chaste and virtuous life. He met this friend where she was at and, and literally saved a life. So when people come to you with that fourth argument, right, you don't want me to have an abortion— Will, will you raise my child? I think the easy answer is there's a thousand, hundred thousand. There's so many people out there who are looking for the blessing of a child. If you don't know a person who's trying to adopt a child, I'm, I'd be surprised. Not only are people trying to adopt children, but they are, they can't. There, there's such a waiting list. It's so difficult to do. 
So there's always someone there. All right. So I hear the music. That means we just have a few seconds before the commercial. When we come back, we're going to talk about saints who have been in impossible circumstances. Uh, If you have some impossible circumstances to add, you can do that as well. You can also call in and ask for a copy of this or any other program, 636-447-6000, 636-447-6000, and uh, we'll, we'll gladly take that recommendation. But saints have done it. That's why they are uh, recognized as people with heroic virtue. Virtue is not done in isolation. Even private virtue is not uh, private. It affects everyone. So go tell a friend. Tell them that we are talking about impossible circumstances and the saints are coming up next. Looking for a way to teach your children about our Catholic faith? Colby Academy has the solution. Offering a curriculum that is loyal to the magisterium, classical, Ignatian, flexible, and affordable, Colby can help with all your homeschooling needs. We offer a wide range of services, including live online courses for those looking for assistance teaching their students, recorded self-paced courses for those who want teacher instruction while needing the flexibility to move at their own pace, and traditional homeschool courses for maximum flexibility in home education. Our support services include advising for parents, record keeping and transcript services, a grading service, standardized testing, and guidance and college counseling. For more information, check out their website at colby.org. That's K-O-L-B-E dot org. Or give them a call. Area code 707-255-6499. That's 707-255-6499. It's Colby Academy. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the Pro-Life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. Welcome back to St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from the Rome of the West. This is Peter Karutz, your host, and here sitting beside me is Peter Karutz, the guest. And today we are talking about impossible circumstances. This is our third Saturday of the month, so this is Evangelization Moments, where we take uh, one of our hours and we, we discuss how normal folks, just lay folks like us, can spread the word, can uh, live the great commissioning to spread the gospel. And and to do that, sometimes we need to have a little bit of courage, and we have to speak up. Remember, silence implies assent. Uh, around the archdiocese, people are saying the rosary for the end of abortion. Uh, I know there's a rally at St. Barnabas today and other places. Uh, consult the internet and archdiocese website for other locations. Uh, and we are talking about impossible circumstances. So uh, I have to give full credit to my oldest daughter who suggested the topic here, um, impossible circumstances. And, and we were talking about 
various impossible circumstances that, quite frankly, I have no solution for. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to resolve them. And, and I think many, many people have these un- circumstances. You know, a, a father abandons his family and takes up with an, an, another, another woman and marries someone else, has children. Now you have two families. What do you do? I don't know. But I know what we do is we pray and we go to confession. I, I can't tell you how many times we have had conversations with people who have called in even after the program and talked about how they are distraught. They've committed some sin that they cannot do anything about. They don't know how to rectify it. They don't know what to do. Let me tell you, we're, you're not alone. Many people are in these circumstances that they don't know what to do. But the first step is this. The first step is go to confession. Go to confession. Remember, no matter what you've done, our Lord is waiting for you. We're going to talk about the saints in a moment and how to, how to, uh, how you become a saint. What is a saint? And some of our favorite saints, because they dealt with impossible circumstances and thrived. But uh, the the one thing I do want to say about confession is remember this. I remember the story of the prodigal son, and my favorite part about the prodigal son is not which one I identify with, because that changes in different times of my life. Um, But when the son came back to the father, when he was a long way off, what does it say? It said when he was a long way off, the father caught sight of him and ran to meet him. Remember in confession, our Lord is not only waiting for you, he's running to meet you. He quite literally is dying for you to come back to the faith. There is no sin that is unforgivable. Um, the, 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 I think Paul's epistle talks about the unforgivable sin, but it's the sin that we choose to retain. Our Lord is always waiting for us. So let's talk about the saints who have dealt with these absolutely impossible circumstances and some of my favorites. So let's do the groundwork. This is evangelization moments. So let's, let's be prepared to evangelize. What is a saint? Quite Simply, a saint is anyone who's in heaven. Yeah, anybody who's in heaven. Those people in heaven are saints. They're in the immediate presence of of our Lord. But we here talk about those canonized saints. So what do you do to become a saint? What is the process? It's one, two, three, four, five. Let's talk about them quickly. First, you have to die. Can't have saints still living because you can't be here on earth and in heaven at the same time. Uh, generally, the waiting period is five years. Uh, then you're declared a servant of God. Step three is you are uh, found to have heroic virtue, and you're considered a venerable. Uh, we talked about virtue. There is no private virtue. But these are people with who, ex- who have uh, lived live, uh, lives of heroic virtue. So first, got to die, five years dead. There's an exception to two out there. I think Mother Teresa was one. Uh, you're then declared a servant of God. You have heroic virtue, and you're a venerable. Then you're beatified once there's a miracle attributed to you. And then finally, the second miracle, uh, you're canonized. And in between, uh, there, there are people trying to uh, identify or prove your uh, um, sainthood um, um, 
creds and someone who isn't as well, someone who's working against you. Actually, in the, uh, I think, pre-Vatican II, the per- there's always a person who is an advocate for the cause, if you will, but they used to call the person who was against you as the devil's advocate. I don't think they call, I don't think they have that same title anymore. But anyway, so that's what you do, and you want to make sure that, uh, that the person is in heaven, and how do we know this? It's the miracles, right? We believe that our Lord is continuously active in our life and that prayer makes a difference. Prayer makes a difference. So we ask the saints to intercede for us. The, The saints have no power other than the year of our Lord. So we ask them to intercede for us, and that's what the miracles are. So before we go any further into talking about some of my favorite saints, who have lived these lives of heroic virtue, virtue in impossible circumstances and what they did, consider this. What miracles are there in your life? What miracles have you experienced? I think we all have. I think we all have. You know, I, I, uh, I, I think of uh, uh, my, my mom when she was in the hospital when I was a young child. And back then, they didn't allow children to go into the hospital. And my father snuck me in, and I, and I, you know, I put, it, put it straight to my mom. I said, are you, are you going to die? And she very honestly says, I don't know. But remember, Our Lady will always be your mom. And I got to tell you, I was distraught. I, 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 I think I was in second or third grade, and uh, in those days, we walked to school on our own. It was a different time. I, went, I would go to Mass in the morning, and I was so, so distraught. You know, one thing we have trouble doing as uh, adults and older people, we have trouble remembering what it was like to be a child and those intense feelings that you had. Um, and I remember how distraught I was. But I do remember at one point during Mass, there was a hymn being sung, and I remember being just awashed, just, just feeling like I was bathed head to toe in, in this warmth, con, warm consolation. I felt okay. I didn't know whether my mom would be okay or not, and she was. She would be. But I had this peace. So as my great friend uh, Monsignor Gaelic says, what is a miracle? A miracle is an outpouring of faith. I'll say it again. A miracle is an outpouring of faith. I experienced that in a small way at that moment. So think of a miracle in that fashion, an outpouring of faith. When our Lord did miracles, he often said, your sins are forgiven, right? There was an outpouring of faith. There was a change in the body, if you will, the elimination of an evil spirit or the curing of a, a lame person or the this bringing sight to the blind. There was something physical there, but the reality was there was an outpouring of faith. Even the lepers who were cured, the 10 lepers, you remember that, they were instructed to go to the priests and and tell them what happened, and they did. There was an outpouring of faith. The one came back and said thank you. So again, evangelization moments. When we feel that our prayers have been answered, whether that answer is yes or no, be the one, be the one to come back and pray in thanksgiving. We often pray intensely for something, but we 
sometimes forget to come and pray in thanksgiving. So that's how you become a saint. We know who are the saints, everyone in heaven. We know the process, and we know what a miracle is. Uh, a miracle per... Oh, and Monsignor Gaelic is celebrating 51 years as a priest today, so... Uh, Send out your prayers and thanksgiving for him as well. So here are some of the saints who I want to share with you who are ones who dealt with impossible circumstances, who exhibited heroic virtue, and I don't know if we'll get through them all, but I'll hit a few of them. The first one is, before I tell you, remember there is a patron saint of everything. Look it up on the internet. I, I printed them out for a confirmation class I just taught. There were hundreds and hundreds of them, and I know I didn't hit them all. So this is Gabriel Passetti, and he is, hang on to your chairs, the patron saint of sharpshooters and handguns. Did I say that? Yes, he is the patron saint of sharpshooters and handguns. So how in the world do we have a patron saint of sharpshooters and handguns? Gabriel Passetti, he was a novice in a religious order, and uh, there was an insurrection going on, and, and, and the, the, the opposition, if you will, were invading the, the villages there. And he runs out of his monastery and, uh, you know, the typical raping and pillaging is going on. And there is a gang of men who seem to be about to have their way with a young girl. And he pushes through this crowd, literally of armed soldiers, takes the gun of the commander out of his holster, grabs the girl and says, the next person who takes a step forward to do harm to this girl I will shoot. I did say he's a saint. And they looked at him and they said, you have six bullets in that gun and count how many there are of us. He didn't even blink. Across the courtyard, on a wall far away, there was a small lizard sunning himself. He points the gun at the lizard and shoots and shoots the lizard off the wall. And he looks at this crowd of hooligans. He says, now I only have five bullets. <laughs> so they, they knew that he wasn't going to miss. And they walked away. So this, this saint had courage. He faced an impossible circumstance. And he persevered. He persevered. Uh, I would like to tell you about a second saint. Maybe I will get through these. Uh, Gianna Beretta. She was actually a doctor. She came from a very large family, and I get these two saints confused, either eight or 13 children. And uh, she, uh, she thought she had a, a, a vocation, perhaps. In fact, two of her brothers became priests. One of her, sisters be one of her sisters became a sister. But in the end, she discerned that she had a vocation to the married life, and she became a doctor. And even after she became a doctor, she continued to practice. And she looked at it as a mission. Uh, and it is. Uh, the, the doctor has a mission. So she had... Uh, I believe, three children, and she was expecting her fourth, and she was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, this is, I believe, in the 40s. And she 
she was told that she had to abort the child uh, in order to save her life. Um, and she refused. Heroic virtue. And she carried the child to term. The child was born. And she did die very shortly afterwards. A at the end of the story, I'll talk about the concept of dual effect. But first off, let me just tell you about this, this woman. She actually gave birth to this child. The child became a doctor. And this child was present at her canonization. I, I don't want to leave the story just at that. Um, remember, we talked about saints having heroic virtue. And we started this program talking about abortion and how there never is a reason for an abortion. So let's also define what abortion is. It is the intentional killing of a child, the intentional killing of an innocent child. But there is a concept called dual effect. And why did we say that Gianna had heroic virtue? It's because if she had taken chemo, and it was in order to, to save her own life, it may have killed the child, but that was not her intent. It is always wrong to intentionally kill an unborn child. This is called the concept of dual effect. That is not the intention. If she had taken chemo, it would not have been her intention to kill the child, but it may have happened. But why is she a saint? Well, she's a saint because of the miracles that happened uh, uh, afterwards also, but she, wrote, she lived a heroic, virtuous life, heroic virtue. Um, I'm going to save Maximilian Colby for the end if we have time, um, but I want to tell you about uh, Maria Gemma Uberta Galani. She was a young girl in a small village, and her family employed somebody to, to be a day worker. And she was young. She was very young, but a very holy and virtuous girl. <clears throat> and... Uh, she was attacked by this man, and uh, he he threatened to kill her if he didn't if she didn't uh, uh, allow him to have her his way with her, and uh, and she fought, and she fought, and he did stab her, and uh, and and she didn't die immediately. She lived for a day or so after that, but um, she did die, but. The time that she had in, in, before she died, she actually forgave him. Well, this man was obviously convicted, sentenced to jail, and was completely and utterly unremorseful. Uh, spent years in prison. And then one day, one night, he had a vision of Gemma coming to him in a dream or a vision. I'm not, sometimes those two things intersect a little bit. And she changed his life. He did repent at that point in time. He did go to confession. He, he began living a holy life. And eventually, he was released from prison and continued to live a holy life. And he, too, was present at her canonization. So Gemma lived the, a life of heroic virtue. And what did she do? She changed the life, quite literally, of the man 
who murdered her. Saints, folks who lived a life of heroic virtue. We've talked about Gabriel Passetti, the patron saint of sharpshooters and handguns. Uh, Gianna, uh, a doctor, who is the patron saint of mothers and doctors, of course. And now we just talked about uh, uh, Saint Gemma. I think she's the patron saint of students and pharmacists, amongst others. There's so many other saints. Uh, but I'm going to try and just talk about two more. I'm saving Maximilian Colby for last. I'd like to talk about another saint who you may not know. Um, and before I do, I'm just going to remind you that this is St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, the Rome of the West. I am your host, Peter Karutz, and we are talking today about impossible circumstances impossible circumstances. This is the third Saturday of the month, and this is a time where we uh, dedicate the hour to evangelization moments. Evangelization moments. Someone's telling me that I got the wrong Saturday, that it isn't the third Saturday. Well, no wonder I'm so confused. But evangelization moments, that's what we're doing one way or the other. And this is a time where we talk about things that we, as ordinary Catholics, can do to spread the word to adhere to the great commissioning um, to spread the gospel. Uh, at the beginning of this program, we talked about um, the, you know arguments against abortion, um, and then we talked and we talked about it from science and reason as well. Uh, we've suggested that perhaps we need to be engaged. To be silent is to imply assent. So let's be engaged. But as it says in the epistle uh, of Peter, First Peter three fifteen, I think it is always have a reason for the sure hope that's in you, but express it with kindness and gentleness. So part two is we're talking about uh, how to be a saint, what it means really to be a saint, to be in heaven, the process of canonization. And now we're talking about how these saints lived up to the their moniker of heroic virtue and uh, their stories of how they overcame impossible circumstances. I'll give you our phone number again. This is 636-447-6000. You can request a copy of this program or any other program, 636-447-6000. And we have two more saints to talk about with the time that is permitted. Um, the screen just spoke to me again and said, it is in fact the third Saturday. Clearly, I thought I was wrong once and I was not. <laughs> so it is the third Saturday. All right, so the next saint we're going to talk about is Padre Pro. Padre Miguel Pro. So if, if you can't remember Padre Miguel Pro, remember his, his cry, his, what he's known for. It's Vivo Cristo Rey, long live Christ the King. Let me tell you a little bit about the life of St. Padre Pro. I have first started learning about St. Padre Pro um, when my younger brother was working on his master's um, thesis uh, at the University of Chicago. And I, I got to tell you, I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. And he was talking about the economic circumstances and the political circumstances of Mexico in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, and, and in full disclosure, I'm first generation in this country. My mother was born in Mexico. Her 
grandparents in Spain. My father was born in Germany. So there is a bit of a family familial connection. So my brother is writing about the economics and the political circumstances in Mexico. If I were to tell you that communism was running rampant in this hemisphere on this continent in Mexico, I'm sure most people would think, what, what in the world are you talking about? Um, you've heard of the Cristillo Wars, uh, their movie for greater glory. Well, what was going on at this time is communism, part of communism, you know, is atheism. And they, the Mexican government, hated the church. In fact, they made it illegal for priests and sisters and brothers to wear their clerical clothes, their habits in public. They basically outlawed the church. Well, here's this young man, um, Padre Pro, Miguel Pro, and he wanted to be a priest. If you can't even wear clerics, do you think they allowed seminaries? Well, he went to, I got to think, I think it was Spain, perhaps another country, maybe France, for his religious education to do his seminary work. And he did, and he became a priest. And eventually he came back to Mexico. And he came back to a circumstance that was even worse than when he left. So what did he do? He did practice the faith. He did give the sacraments. He did go to homes and say mass. He literally snuck around into people's homes to say mass, he, to, say, to uh, hear confessions, to baptize children. Remember, it was virtually legal to be a Catholic, and people were literally being executed for this. So what did he do? He, when he went to the rich people's homes, he would dress as a, an aristocrat, and we'd walk in. He was a man of disguise. He actually went to prisons dressed as guards or policemen and snuck into the prisons to give the last rites and viaticum to these prisoners who were going to be executed for their faith. Let me tell you, the Mexican government hated this guy, and they finally caught him, and they were going to make an example of him and publicly execute him. So they did. So look, you can look this up on the internet. Uh, Miguel Pro, they filmed his execution. There are hundreds of pictures of it. Why did they do this? They did this and they published it in every newspaper to make sure that people knew the consequences of having faith. Before his execution, he prayed and he individually forgave each one of his executioners. And the firing squad aimed and shot him. But before he sh they shot him, he raised his arms and he said, Vivo Cristo Rey, Vivo Cristo Rey, long live Christ the King. And he fell, but only one bullet hit him. The commandant then went and killed him, shot him in the head. What happened as a result, they, public, they said no public funerals. There were three million people attending his funeral. He actually created more faith. The blood of the saints. I will not get to Maximilian Kolbe. But this was evangelization moments. I hope that you have had something to take away. That's what we try and do each time we have evangelization moments. Give you something to think about. Give you a way to talk to your brothers and sisters and those people who may be looking to come back into the faith. So please, come back and join us next week at this same time. Tell a friend, and please, spread the word. Be part of the Great Commissioning. May God bless you all.
listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents. Thank you.